Our Psalter reading is from Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5, and can be found on page 479 in the Bibles we provide and on page 92 of the Children's Bible. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 37 through 41, and can be found on page 893 of the Bibles we provide, and on page 200 of the Children's Bibles. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? This is the gospel of Christ. And now I'd like to read the preaching passage. This week and next week, I'm going to be offering some encouragement from the little book of Jude. To find Jude, simply go to the book of Revelation and go left. It's the last little book just before the Revelation. Verses 1 and 2. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by and for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Would you, would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the honor of being in Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church, a community that's marked many parts of my story. Praise you for Dr. Hoke, for John, for Lord, many, many in this congregation that shared life with me, both in the greater Nashville area and in Graham, North Carolina. Lord, it's just marvelous to see how the tapestry of your hand and heart continue to show us your generosity, your faithfulness, your pursuing love, your transforming grace. I pray, Lord, over really all three of these passages, Lord, for what we just heard read from King David's life. You brought him to a fresh experience of the fact that there's only one love better than life, only one love that redefines and defines all things. Lord, would you do the same for us? Lord Jesus, you stood and you boldly called men and women to yourself in the context of the most holy place of the temple. And yet many were more accustomed to going to temple than really loving God in that day. You proffered, spoke of living water that you alone can give and do give time and time and time again by the 
power of God, the Holy Spirit. Would you refresh us, Lord Jesus, today? Would you give us the freedom, even in the context of a faithful church family, to wrestle with our current identity? What defines us more than your love? What is slaking the thirst that really drives the choices we make, that perhaps mutes or wrongly tries to heal the wounds of our heart that you alone can heal. Let us run to you, Jesus, even in preparation for this Lord's Supper today, this down payment on the wedding feast of the Lamb. Lord, thank you for Psalm 63. Thank you for John 7. Thank you now, Lord, for this text. Thank you for the life of Jude, the brother of James, half-brothers of Jesus. As they learned, Lord Jesus, to live in closer proximity to you, everything changed. May it be the same for us. We pray individually this morning and corporately as we think about our identity as a church family next week. To this end, we pray with great thanksgiving and hope. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, beginning this morning and running through next week, here are the four things we're going to look at. And we're going to only look at the first of the four this morning. Cherishing our identity by the gospel. Secondly, growing in the riches of the gospel. Third, extending the welcome of the gospel. And lastly, marveling at the Lord of the gospel. This morning, I want to talk about individual identity. Next week, how you're praying for this next season. In Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church, what are you praying for and towards? Well, God's word will help us think about that next week. But, but this morning, as individuals, let's reflect upon the claims of the gospel. Jude, as I mentioned in my prayer, had a very unique relationship with Jesus. He, with James, who he mentions in this text, they were half-brothers of Jesus. Let me explain what that meant. In the Gospels, we realize that after Joseph and Mary brought into their family the Lord Jesus, of course, whose father was God himself, other children came into the family. And two of those were Jude and James, who wrote the epistle of James. Now, what's really awesome about their story is this. They, they grew up in such close proximity to Jesus, and yet they did not believe that their half-brother was the Messiah until after the resurrection. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 specifically says that after his resurrection, one of the many resurrection appearances that Jesus gave, one of which was to James. Now, I love that because I grew up in the church all my life as well. Like Sammy Boland, Sammy, where are you? Would you raise your hand? Are you still in the house? There we go. See, Sammy's mom was my Sunday school teacher. Sammy and I went to Graham Presbyterian Church and... uh, And we were marked by going to church. And I can't speak for you, Sammy, but certainly for me, I'm thankful for that heritage. But it was going to be many years later before I really, like Jude and James, thought appropriately about Jesus. And I'm still in that journey. See, that's one of the great things about us being here this morning. We're going to be 
looking afresh at the gospel this morning and next week because really there's nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of it. There's just more of knowing who is Jesus and what does it mean to live in closer proximity to him. As we get to know him better, it redefines this category of identity. Now, everybody in this room, as you're sitting there this morning, if I were to ask you what defines you the most, you would probably pause and then give some information. And it's not that it's bad information. I I would never, in fact, as I ask you to think about where do you go for your primary identity, you might offer some stuff like I'm going to offer. Like I'm wearing Carolina blue this morning because I am a glad graduate of the the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Now that could overdefine me or it could be a part of my story. And it is a part of my story. I love the Tar Heels. I think you got a better basketball team this year than we do at Knoxville, but that's another conversation. But I'm also someone that has been married to Darlene for almost 47 years. That's a part of my identity. It's a part of who I am. Got two adult children and three grandsons, cool grandsons' names, Finn, Otis, and Otto. New generation of names. I'm also someone that was sexually abused as an eight-year-old kid. Also a part of my story would be my mom killed in a head-on car crash when I'm 11, sixth grader at Graham Elementary School. Now, all kinds of stuff can claim the right to define us, but there's really only one ultimate reality that's meant to define us and enable us to look at all those other parts of our stories. Brennan Manning, some of you would know that name. He was a beautifully broken man. He wrote many books. One of the first books I read by Brennan was Abba's Child. And in it, he makes this incredible statement. He said this, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. Appreciate the fact that he used that language because his was a very broken story. A Roman Catholic priest that was an alcoholic who lived a lifelong struggle with coming to rest and the only love that is better than life. Lifelong journey of hearing Jesus speak to him. Brennan, if you're thirsty, come, come to me. I welcome everybody. I welcome one and all because none of us is beyond the reach of God's grace and none of us is beyond the need of God's grace. So what does that look like as Jude begins his epistle? Jude, starting this letter at a time of crisis, we're not going to even talk about the crisis. It was one of many assaults on the gospel. He's going to call his community to defend the gospel, but he's going to give us some images of it, first of all, to invite us this morning to say, what is my most pressing identity? What right now defines me more than anything else? The size of dress I would like to fit into, my stock portfolio, how well or not well my kids are doing. What would it mean for you and for me to define ourselves radically as those beloved of the Lord? Well, three things in this one verse that we want to ponder. Notice what Jude says. He's writing to whom? Those who are called by God. 
Secondly, those who are beloved by God the Father. Thirdly, those who are kept by and for Jesus. Let's, let's connect with these three as aspects of the identity that we want for ourselves to help us look at those other parts of our story, our accomplishments and our failures, our wounds, our longings. So first of all, what does the Bible mean when it says that we are defined by calling? Well, in one conversation, we could talk about your vocational calling, and that's a very important calling. Important to think about the fact that that all callings matter, but that's really not what Jude's talking about here. He's not talking about what do you do for a living. Rather, he's saying by calling, where do you go for life? Calling in the Bible is far less an invitation. It's far more like a subpoena. I will not ask who received a subpoena, subpoena this week. That might be a little unnerving for some of us. But you know, a subpoena has a legal response. Someone knocks on your door from the sheriff's office and says, I've got a subpoena for you. You don't pray about whether or not you respond to the subpoena. You respond. Well, the great thing about calling in the Bible is that God is seeking those who are not seeking him. And in the gospel, we are subpoenaed from death to life. Don't you love Abraham's story? Genesis 12, a thoroughly happy pagan living in a world, worshiping the moon, God seeks him, calls him to himself, and makes promises to Abram that he, God alone, can keep. He's going to make of Abram, who will become Abraham, a great nation, a nation that will be the national womb through which the Messiah will come for the blessing of all nations. Well, calling looks like Abram counting stars, sand, and dust, and realizing he's among those stars, sands, and dust because God called Abram from a life of being defined by other things, including moon worship. Lazarus, great example of what the Bible means by calling that we can connect with. How did Jesus call Lazarus? Lazarus was stinking dead four days in the tomb. And Jesus stands outside his tomb and says, what? Lazarus comes forth. Those ears don't work. That's the point. We are defined by the one that meets us in our worst and says, come forth. And he gives a response. Good news for us today, for some of you even praying about becoming a Christian. What I want you to hear this morning is if you're praying about becoming a Christian, it will not be about you getting your crackers and cheese together and promising to do more, try harder. It'll be you responding to God who says, I subpoena you to life. I subpoena you to grace. I subpoena you to know me legally. That's why we look at the second of three titles. Jude also says that we are those beloved by God the Father. He doesn't say in the Greek, loved by God the Father. He says beloved. It's a particular word. And it's not a word that Jude picked up on about talking to people like me that sound like this, marked by a southern redneck accent from North Carolina. Beloved can kind of sound sentimental. It is a profound defining term in the Bible. It means that God has set his affection upon those who were not his children and has made them his own. 
Earlier in the pastoral prayer, you heard a part of 1 John 3 that really helps us understand belovedness and why it's meant to define us more than our wounds, our successes, our failures, our longings, our fears, more than anything else. John writes, 1 John 3, 1, consider how great the love is the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God, that is made to be the children of God, adopted, justified, raised to newness of life, completely forgiven of all of our sins, given the declaration of righteous in Jesus. John sees that and he marvels. Consider how great is this love the Father's lavished upon us, that we are called to be those children. And that is what we are, he says. And then he, John, has a view to the future being the children of God. And what we shall be, we do not know, but we do know this, that when Jesus returns, we will see him as he is and we will be made like him. Do you reckon that was meant to function as hope in the lives of men and women like you and me that have failed, that have been hurt, that have been victimized, that have missed out, have been betrayed, have had successes, have more money, some of us, than we'll spend in 10 lifetimes. Do you think there's something that's meant to redefine all of it? Absolutely. We are the called by the living God from death to life. We are beloved of the Father. We are legally adopted. And don't go start thinking that God is like your daddy. Let me say to those of you in this room that had the most engaged, kind, affectionate, Fathers on the face of the earth, even the best father is just meant to be a hint and whisper of the one who alone can father you like you long to be known and loved. See, some of this week are going to have this week are going to have a disproportionate amount of defining us by what's going to happen on is it Thursday, Valentine's Day, Thursday or Wednesday? Just giving the men a heads up here. Some of us are going to put too much cred in how many roses, how creative the date, or decimated if we're forgotten. Dear friends, romantic love between a husband and wife and and those who love each other is an awesome thing. But if it defines you more than the love God lavishes on you in Jesus, it is surely close to becoming an idol. Nobody can love you the way this God loves you. Nobody. And it is awesome when in Christian marriage, we can give each other a taste of the gospel because that's what good Christian marriage is supposed to be. Two sinners living together, saved by grace, seeking to outlove one another as Jesus loves them. Called, beloved by God the Father. Kept, thirdly and lastly, by and for Jesus The actual Greek of that phrase in our text, it's so cool the way the Holy Spirit inspired authors to choose even particular little connectors like the word by or for. The word used relative to our relationship with Jesus can be translated, should be translated both ways. Who are we? What's our most defining identity? We are kept by Jesus for Jesus. Speaking of romance, there is no greater most more profound intimacy than the way Jesus loves his bride. 
Think about this. We who have been called out of death to life, we who are now given by grace through faith, this belovedness, having Abba Father as our ultimate parent and reparenter who has given us to his son Jesus to be our ultimate spouse. We are kept by Jesus. You never have to fear getting the left foot of fellowship out of the family of God. You never can become unborn again. That will not lead you to presumption. It will lead you to awe and worship and really beginning to realize what Brennan Manning, when he said, all other identities are an illusion. If I look at anything, I mean, even good stuff to define me more so than God's giving of himself to us in Jesus and making us his own and loving us and beginning a work he will complete. If anything else defines me more, it will ultimately fail me. It cannot bear the weight of those longings. Kept by Jesus because he is our savior, Oh, I wish I had learned earlier, so much earlier in life, that Jesus did not primarily come into this world to be a model to follow so that we could earn our way into the Father's pleasure. No, he came as a substitute to trust before a model to follow. What do I mean by that? Well, it means this, that the Bible says that Jesus is not our second chance, but the second Adam. He lived a life of perfect obedience before he died. He fulfilled the law for us. And then upon the cross, he took the judgment we deserved. So that this morning we can say, because of Jesus, as we know him better, God cannot love us any more than he does today. He'll never love us less because he's hidden our life in Jesus. He's made Jesus's righteousness ours and all of our sins have been forgiven, not just the 4% we're aware of. Do you see why Jesus cries out in a loud voice, if you're thirsty, come? Do you see why he is in a temple and saying that? Friends, it's possible even for those of us that believe what I'm saying is true to lose the music of the gospel. We hold on to the lyric, but you lose the music. What would renewal look like in your, this upcoming season of your life? Now, I'm more aware than ever. Some birthdays mark you more than others. Last Friday or Saturday, Groundhog's Day E, February 1st. I turned 69. I think as an 18-year-old kid in Graham, North Carolina, I thought when you're 69, you probably are dead or won't be able to complete sentences or have any teeth left. <laughs> but I am aware of the fact that I'm, I'm burying a lot of friends now. And, and, and a lot of what I'm telling you now, has that, which has been precious to me for many years, it's even more precious now. At the end of the day, what's defining us? Where are we going to medicate our pain? Who can sustain some of those chapters and stories? I was 54 years old before I had a remembrance of having been sexually harmed, something that defined me so much more than I realized. It has only been this father that has given me the power to stay present in that wound and work through that. It's only been this father and the finished work of his son Jesus that enabled me to finally go back to my mom's grave after 40 years of never going back. Where are you stuck? Where are you not as free as you think you are? Kept 
for Jesus. I'll finish with this. Let me apologize in true Southern kindness. As soon as I finish this word and pray, I'm going to scoot out of here. I am an introvert, but I've got to preach at 5 p.m. back in Nashville this afternoon for one of your beloved son, Matt Avery, that joined the staff at 12th Avenue South. So I'll hug him for you, but you'll also forgive me for leaving. I will linger next week. That has nothing to do with the sermon, all right? Just being polite. Kept for Jesus. In just a very brief moment, this incredible mill is going to come alive again. And to say that we are kept by Jesus for Jesus is to say the next, next most defining, liberating, healing day on the calendar of God's sovereign providence and goodness is the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's why when we take the Lord's Supper now, this should begin to smell like wedding cake. This should be far more like a wedding in this room now than a funeral. Jesus indeed died, but he's now alive. And he's married yourself to him. For those of you that are singled, you're no less married than any of us. To those of you that are married, you're way more married to Jesus than you'll ever be married to a spouse. This is healing. This is freeing. This is incredibly good news. So I ask you as I pray, this morning, what defines you? The color of your school? The betrayals that you cannot forgive? The money you think that will be enough? Oh, let us run to the one who says, if you're thirsty, come. If you're thirsty, come again. If you're thirsty, come now. Let me pray. Father, thank you for my privilege of being in this room. I think the last time I was here was 20 years ago. And I thank you for 20 years later, seeing friends like Sammy and uh, men and women who were at First Press, Christ Press, Christ Community with me. And, and we continue to groan and grow in grace. And we continue to say together, there's only one love better than life. Lord, for those that are the angriest in the room, those who are the most disconnected, those who fear shame, by your spirit, subpoena us to life again and again and again. And together we cry out, hallelujah, what a savior, hallelujah, what a salvation in Jesus' name, amen.